Right, uh, good evening ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the LSE. I'm Simon Glendening and I'm the Director of the Forum for European Philosophy and I'm welcoming you here to this Forum for European Philosophy panel discussion in the series European Questions, Turkish Angles. Now the idea behind this, which is put together jointly with the LSE Chair in Contemporary Turkish Studies, is to take themes which are relatively familiar from uh, internal European debates and to allow some of those uh, points and ideas from those debates some airing, but also to bring them into a relationship, whether a, a confrontational one or not, with um, uh, interventions, as it were, from a, a Turkish point of view on those well-established European questions. And so each of the events, apart from one, which I'll get to in a moment, each of these events in this series tends to begin with Europe's something. So uh, Europe's literature or Europe's history or Europe's politics or whatever it is, Europe's something or other, about which Europe has generally something to say and something to say which might be fairly well established. And today is going to be Europe's secularity. We have... Uh, three panel speakers who are going to help us out thinking through um, the issue of Europe's secularity, including a Turkish angle. Um, three speakers very well qualified to talk about this. Uh, we'll be starting at the far end of the table with Philippe Malière, who's Professor in French and European Politics at University College London. Um, he'll be followed by Hakan Yilmaz. Now, Hakan, I have to tell you, has come with some difficulty from his home in Istanbul at uh, Boyazici University, um, where getting a visa to come to the UK has proved um, uh, a labour of love, and he spent most of the weekend, I think, uh, queuing up and trying to trying to get in. He said, once you get in, it's okay. But getting in is very, very hard work. There you go. Uh, and uh, he'll, he'll go second. And then we'll, finally, it'll be John Maidley in the middle there from the government department here at the LSE. And the reason they're going to go in this order is this. They will have other things to say, but among the things that they're going to say, is, uh, Philippe will say some things about secularism or laicity as concerns France, and Hakan will say something as concerns secularity or laïc, or laïc, how do you say it? Laïc. Laïc, uh, as concerns Turkey. And then John will say something perhaps rather critical about uh, secularism as concerns France and as concerns Turkey. And that will be the first round. They'll each have about 10 minutes in that first round. And after that, immediately, we will offer those who were offered criticism in their turn a chance at, at uh, self-defense from France and from Turkey, and then maybe some general discussion amongst the panel. And then once they've been going on for too long, we'll, I'll cut them short and we'll open it up for questions and contributions from you. But so, first of all, we go to France, Philippe. Yes, good evening, first of all. Well, I'll kick off on the, the series of European questions, Turkish angles, with the French angle. I think 
it's, uh, it's of interest because I understand the, the two philosophies of secularism, the Turkish one and the French one, are fairly similar, with differences. We'll probably come to that in a moment, but they are fairly similar, as I said. Why starting with France? Well, first of all, that's the situation I know best, probably, but the major reason is that I think France, uh, historically, when it comes to secularity, has embraced a kind of secular philosophy, I would even say a secular way of life, extremely seriously. You know, that's a country which, in 1905, has known the separation between the church and the state. So since then, preceding Turkey, by the way, so since then, all things public, the state, but also schools, uh, public uh, servants, officers, are deemed laic, you know, so there, there can't be any interference of religion into public affairs. That's, of course, the theory. We'll see that in practice that suffers many exceptions. So the brand of secularism, as um, Simon said in his introduction, is called laicite. That's the word. So I will refer to it all the way through because I believe it is different from secularism or secularity. It is, in a view, more stringent, more demanding interpretation of secularism, and I'll show you why in a moment. Well, as I said, you know, Turkey, uh, Atatürk was is said to be, have been influenced by this, uh, the French model of 1905, when he himself, for Turkey, separated the church and, uh, and or Islam and, and the state in 1923. So what's the major difference between uh, French laïcité and secularism, as we know it, for instance, in Britain. Of course, Britain is a secular society, but it isn't a laic country. I think the difference is essentially in the, in the Republican emphasis, and by Republican, of course, I mean the French Republican, which is, of course, the nature of the French regime. The Republican emphasis on the strict preservation of the autonomy of the secular public sphere which is re regulated by independent ethics. So we're talking, when we talk about French laïcité, we're talking of, about a kind of independent ethics, or morale, if you like, or values, which, are, which transcend any other values, be they religious, <coughs> cultural, or whatever uh, values they might be. Broadly speaking, laïcité means the absence of religious involvement in government affairs, as well as the absence of government involvement in religious affairs. So that works both ways. Uh, during the 20th century, it evolved to mean also equal treatment of all religions. <coughs> what is notable about French laïcité is that it puts all religions on the par. There isn't a favored religion or in France. You know, France people, sometimes you read France as a Catholic country, officially not. Culturally, it might be still as the major religion in France, but officially, France isn't a Catholic country, it's a laic country, that's a difference. So uh, the word was used from the end of the 19th century onward to mean the freedom of public institutions, especially to mean the freedom of public institutions, especially primary school from the influence of the Catholic Church. It all started up, of course, with a kind of battle, historic battle against the almighty Catholic Church in the late 19th century. Laïcité was first established in France in public education with the 1880s Jules Ferry laws. 
So what I like to, to do in my very uh, brief uh, address is to try to being being concise at least to set out what are the major principles of, of laicity and what are if you like the major values and I will conclude by although you will feel that it's a fairly sympathetic appraisal of laicity, I'm also critical and in my conclusion I will keep the criticism there to say that probably some a certain reading or interpretation of laïcité in France from certain French Republicans, I disagree with that one, and I think there are certain problems about it. So what are these principles? I've listed, I think, four or five of them, starting with the first principle, which I will call a libertarian principle. What does that mean? It means that the state in France, in the United States, permits the practice of religion within limits prescribed by the requirement of public order. You know, you, religions can flourish very freely in France. There's no limits to their uh, development and exercise. But the state neither promotes nor combats particular religious beliefs. It stays neutral with regard to them, doesn't interfere, doesn't get involved. Religions should be allowed to flourish in the private sphere without state interference. So privately, in France, you are, of course, free to practice whatever beliefs uh, or to follow whatever creed you want to, uh, you want to, to follow in any organized uh, religious body. This libertarian principle contrasts, I think, here, and that's probably one of the major differences with the Turkish system, Turkish laicity, because in Turkey, I believe, but our colleague here will tell us more about that and will maybe confirm that, in Turkey, this is a light system which permeates, religion permeates both the government and religious sphere. So that is, indeed, Sunni Islam, the majority religion in Turkey, is controlled by the Turkish government through the Department of Religious Affairs. And it is also state-funded, something which is absolutely impossible in France. That would be absolutely illegal to fund any religion in France. And uh, politicians, the government, President, the Prime Minister absolutely can't interfere with religious affairs. Second principle, it's a prince egalitarian principle, question of equality, how do you treat people with regard to religion and, and, and beliefs and, and faith in general? Well, the state doesn't give preference to one religion over another. So there might be, of course, a majority religion in France, Catholicism, but the French state doesn't favor it. The state isn't established, to use uh, the, uh, the specific word, uh, within the French state. It doesn't favor any religion or faith. All believers are equal before the state. Uh, French Republicans refer to the establishment of the Anglican Church in the UK as falling short of the egalitarian <coughs> principle as it confers material and symbolic privileges to followers of the majority confession in this country. That would be a sort of typical criticism addressed to the situation in Britain. It's not fair, it's not equal, because you've got an established uh, religion, so that favors the followers of that religion uh, with regard to other religions and faith. And we could talk about this example, I think, particularly in state education. Uh, of course, uh, there are some problems in terms of representation of religions. Third principle, the agnostic principle. It means that the state should neither favor nor disfavor 
religion as such, it should be agnostic vis-à-vis -vis the respective claims of believers and non-believers. It doesn't, its role isn't to say whether religion is a good or bad thing. It is, remains neutral vis-à-vis -vis religion and, and religious uh, beliefs. So this is often con contrasted uh, to the American situation where despite official non-establishment of the church within uh, the American constitution, a kind of diffuse religious culture permeates public institution in, in the US. That's just an example. The state requires, in some cases, state officials to swear belief in God, which is entirely shocking for, in the French context. You can't ask a public servant to, uh, or even to, uh, to swear to uh, pledge allegiance putting your hand on the Bible, which is what I believe uh, American presidents do. Fourth principle, the individualistic principle. Well, our current constitution in France was uh, established in 1958 by de Gaulle. It's called the, Fifth, the Constitution of the Fifth Republic, and states that the Republic ensures equality before the law of all citizens with no distinction made on the basis of origin, race, and religion. This is the core of difference-blind liberalism, uh, which provides each individual with a uniform set of rights, regardless of their culture, identity, and belief. Here, very big difference with the situation we know in Britain. The state goes as far as forbidding the collection of stat statistics about racial origins or religious affiliation. It's illegal in France. You can't know about ethnic religious background in France. So the use of ethnic categories such as white, black, Arab is banned in official discourse. And there are no reliable official statistics on the number of Catholics, Protestants, Jews, and Muslims. Again, it's banned. You can't do that. You have a fair sort of approximate idea, but uh, there's no census. You just can't know, you just can't count the exact number for each religion. Well, the official Republican reading of laicite is, I believe, strongly influenced by the individualistic philosophy of the 1789 revolution, which asserted that A, group membership shouldn't generate differential treatment of individuals by the state. B, it also asserted the primacy of individual rights over group rights. In that sense, it is individualistic. There's a very famous uh, comment made by a French deputy uh, in 1789, his name was Clermont Tonnerre during the revolution, and talking about granting uh, citizenship to French Jews for the first time, he said, Jews must be refused everything qua nation, but granted everything qua individual. So again, uh, rights, civil rights are granted to individuals, you and I, as people, as citizens, as individuals, but not as member of a particular religious or ethnic, ethnic group. In a sense, the sort of granting rights to people on the ground that they come from a certain uh, community, which is called, that's the case sometimes in Britain, which is called multiculturalism, is seen by a lot of French Republicans as bad, because it, it is for them a return to the mass of anomalies and spatial cases that entrenched privileges and inequalities under the Ancien Regime. So interestingly, multiculturalism is more of a progressive, or to put it to, to tag uh, in sort of uh, 
to use the political spectrum more on the left, whereas in France it is seen as a right-wing conservative thing, um, and you know, referring to uh, the situation under the Ancien Régime. Final principle, fairness. Well, Republicans in France believe that it is a fair, uh, it is a fair state of affairs. The difference blind and abstentionist neutrality of the state is fair to individuals. Why? Why they argue? Because it treats people identically, regardless of their particular faith, identity, and affiliations. Now coming to my conclusion, and just to open the debate, I would like again to prolong this uh, very important question of fairness and ask the following question. Is French laïcité in practice fair to all individuals? Of course, it's an important and complex issue. You may know that over the past 20 years, uh, the most notorious problems surrounding laïcité have been related to education in state schools. Well, given the centrality of education to the Republican project, it is in this area that the lay obligations of the state apply most strictly. Together they, argue French Republicans, justify, for instance, the ban of the Muslim headscarves in school. Let me give you a bit of background, very briefly, one minute. The Republican school uh, from the late 19th century was conceived as a kind of microcosm of Republican political society. Within its walls, children would learn to become citizens. They would acquire a shared public identity that tried to transcend their local, cultural, religious affiliations. In contrast to the conception prevalence in Britain, where schools are broadly responsive to the religious and cultural needs and demands of the local communities, in France, the schools are detached from them and they're seen as promoting specific values, <coughs> cutting across communal divisions, and even diverging you know, from the values prevalent in other spheres of society, for instance, the family, and more and more so from the marketplace. It's a place which should be preserved from all the influence of the marketplace, for instance. That's, that's the sort of idea in Republican thinking. So the religious neutrality of schools was achieved through the scrupulous avoidance of any reference to any religious sign from classrooms. In the early 20th century, the provision first applied to Catholics. For instance, crucifix, crosses on walls would be removed. You couldn't have that. Uh, of course, now the problem seems mostly to concern Muslim girls wearing the headscarf in school. So the major arguments from the Republican side to ban the headscarf are, one, they introduce signs of private difference and religious divisiveness into the public sphere. Two, they introduce signs of private difference, uh, sorry, they symbolize the primacy of the believer over the citizen. Three, they infringe on equality between pupils. And fourth, they undermine the civic mission of schools. For instance, Republicans argue, the demand to wear headscarves in school is often accompanied by other requests, such as exemptions from classes, physical, educational, sports. So you see, it's a sort of a, once you start uh, letting people wear headscarves, then they are further demand, and that completely in turn, in the end, undermines the like uh, 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 situation in, in the school. So what are we to make of the pro-ban argument in the name of laicity? I'm not, I'm not convinced by it. In response, I think there are two major strategies open to defenders of Muslim headscarves in state school. Now that I'm promoting the, the wearing of headscarves, that's not that, but I think that as a non-believer, non-Muslim, there should be a place for 
girls wearing headscarf in French state life school. First argument is the wearing of Muslim headscarf doesn't infringe on the principle of laicity correctly understood. Laicity was intended as a guarantee of, not a limit to, religious freedom. And only public officials and teachers, not pupils, are bound by the requirement uh, of neutrality. A teacher, in my view, it wouldn't be acceptable for a teacher to wear a religious sign. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a duty of neutrality with regard to uh, the, the classroom and the, the pupils, the youngsters that they teach. However, I don't think this is the correct interpretation to apply that, uh, that uh, obligation of neutrality to, to youngsters, to pupils. So it is also hard to see how excluding veiled pupils from school would further this objective of inclusion. I think there's a problem there. It can also be argued that the ban on headscarves constitutes a case of indirect discrimination and thus infringes on the principle of equality. Second major argument, and I will leave it there after that, is critics can also object that, in practice, the separation between state and religion in France is far from complete. And the pervasive influence of Catholic culture makes it all the more important uh, to ensure that religious minorities, such as Muslims today, uh, are treated in a fair and uh, even-handed fashion. Thank you. So just give uh, the late councillor a chance to come and sit down because I know there are plenty of seats. So maybe um, people in the first and second row could move up a little bit and, and let people in before we move on. We have two, two of you that can come at the front. Philip, um, so we're going to move a little distance to Turkey, and uh, Hakan Yilmaz is going to uh, talk to us a little bit about the structures and um, infrastructures of, of secularity and secularism in Turkey. Thank you, Simon, and it's always very good to come to this wonderful institution, even though that means you have to spend uh, a lot of time to get the UK visa, but you know, to be honest, <laughs> among you, among these wonderful people, it's worth coming, it's worth doing. Thank you very much for your kindness, by the way. Um, uh, I have prepared a short expose. I'm going to talk first about the Turkish particularities uh, of laicite, laiklik, or secularism in terms of the uh, Turkish legal structures and constitutional structures. And I'm going to talk about uh, a little bit uh, about the Turkish public opinion and how does the Turkish public perceive uh, secularism and the relations between state and religion, because I'm basically a political scientist doing a lot of research on public opinion. And I have some <coughs> data that might be interesting for the audience. Uh, in many European constitutions, uh, or actually in all European constitutions, for those states that have a constitution, <laughs> uh, there, are, uh, an, there is a certain clause 
uh, and articles which guarantees freedom of religion. Uh, and it sort of also uh, puts the state in a more or less neutral position with respect to the major faiths as they exist in a, in, the, in, a, in a given country. So separation of church and state, freedom of religion, these are pretty much articles that we can find in various forms in almost all European constitutions. There are three countries, three states, uh, in whose constitution, constitutions you have the word laic or secular. These are France, Russia, Turkey. Uh, as far as I could find, uh, you know, through my searches on the internet, uh, I don't know the Russian word for uh, secular or uh, laic uh, because the translation was in English, the Russian constitution, but I think it might be a translation of the French term laic. Uh, but in one way or the other, these three countries, and, you know, and interestingly enough, these are post revolutionary countries. France, uh, Turkey and Russia, uh, you know, at the beginning of the 20th century, they have their own revolution. So it seems that uh, these three countries have uh, included this term secular in their constitution as a major character of their state, uh, which was because they, because the revolution that they made was against a, some sort of theocratic state which they saw as a challenge uh, to the post-revolutionary order. So it's a revolutionary concept, in a sense, in these three countries. I think I, we would like to underline that. And in Turkey, uh, it is much more emphasized compared to France and Russia. In, in the French and the Russian, uh, although the French law, 1905, uh, was much earlier uh, compared, uh, you know, you compare it to the entry of the term secularism in the, into the Turkish constitution. In Turkey, the constitution, uh, the, the term secularism entered into the constitution in 1937. Uh, but in France, in 1946, it's, uh, although the, ter the law of 1905 was much earlier, but the law did not involve this, the law of the French law of 1905 did not involve the term laicite. It was the law of the separation of church and state. Neither in the title of the law nor in the body of the law you have you find the term laicite. The term laicite in Turkish laiklik entered the first time into any world constitution was Turkey, 1937. And uh, later on, the French state uh, in uh, in 1946 uh, and 1958 later on adopted the term. Russia in 1993 after the collapse of the Soviet Union adopted the term secularism in the Russian constitution. As far as I know, not even the Soviet constitution had the term secularism in it. Uh, so we are talking about a very particular phenomenon. In the French constitution and in the Russian constitution, the term secularism appears only once in one of the you know, early articles, uh, once, and the constitution state that, you know, the Russian state or the French state is a secular or laic state. In the Turkish constitution, the term secularism in today's constitution, which dates back to 1982, appears eight times in various articles of the constitution. First of all, it appears in the preamble, in the opening of the constitution. It then appears in various other articles 
So it, it, it is really a concept which is central uh, to the Constitution itself. Uh, apart from the seven appearances in the Constitution, uh, the term secularism also appears in the so-called laws of the Turkish Revolution. The Constitution refers to these laws. The laws are not part of the Constitution, but one of the articles of the Constitution refers to these laws as the fundamental laws of the Republic. And uh, those laws are also involving the concept of secularism to a great degree. So the Turkish within the Turkish Constitution, the term secularism, either directly by way of eight articles you know, involving the term, or indirectly by way, by way of a reference to the laws of the revolution, is a central concept. And it is not easy to think of the Turkish Constitution without the term uh, and the concept of uh, secularism. Um, so, in the case of Turkey, we, may, we, we are talking about a, something interesting, something different. Uh, it might be called ultra-secularism, revolutionary secularism, uh, Kemalist secularism, secu secularism a la Turca, you know, uh, <laughs> that is, you know, you, you, you might choose your own term, but we are talking about a concept that is not the same as it is, for example, in its original country, France, or in Russia. Although we have a lot of similarities uh, to France, but it is still much more emphatic. Its place is much more important compared to, uh, to, to France. Uh, today, another important aspect of Turkish secularism is that the revolutionary laws which uh, go back to the 1920s when the republic was being founded, forbid in Turkey the formation of a religious community. You cannot become a religious community in Turkey. You cannot become a religious collectivity. Uh, I mean, legally recognized religious co uh, collectivity. Uh, the only religious community is to be organized by the state, by the government, by the uh, Directorate of Religious Affairs, which is a government office. Uh, you cannot go to the government and register yourself as an autonomous religious community which has its own imams, its own mosques, its own institutions. That is out of, uh, that, that's against the revolutionary laws and therefore it's against the constitution which which, which makes a reference to the laws of the revolution. But we know that in Turkey there are tens of different religious communities. <laughs> so we have the real existence of these religious communities. Uh, those religious communities have a lot of political influence, economic influence, cultural influence, but they have no constitutional or legal status. So that is, they operate at a certain gray area which I call unregistered religion. It's like the black economy, okay? Uh, they operate in this gray area. They, they exert a lot of political, economic, cultural, ideological influence. They, some, they are sometimes acting like kingmakers in certain political parties, but they have no constitutional or legal status. They are not transparent. No one knows who is a member and who is not. Uh, they are not economically and financially transparent. We don't know how much money they collect from their members, how much money they spend on their activities, but everyone sort of thinks that billions are circulating 
uh, in those religious communities. So uh, what we are having here is a very interesting sort of situation. So therefore, there is room for reform and change uh, to a little bit moderate this ultra-secularism to, to at least to the level of France, for example, uh, a country that we are, which we are copying in every aspect of our reform process. You know, in, in Turkey, the, the, the dictum is that. Don't go beyond France. <laughs> if, if there is any reform that you, you want to make about minor, about those dangerous issues like minorities, laicity, etc., copy France. You know. <laughs> you know that the French didn't go beyond a certain reasonable sort of limit. You can always copy France in but in that case too, we need we need a certain reform, and I think France could be a good model. Moderate secularism a little bit, and particularly legalize and constitutionalize religious communities in a way they are compatible with the established secular order. This is easier said than done, obviously. And, uh, but th these are the main contours of reform in the area of state-religion relations in Turkey. Uh, what do the Turkish public think about secularism? Uh, I have certain data for you. Uh, it seems that when we ask, these are data taken from various public opinion surveys uh, from 2007 until today. So th these are pretty recent. Uh, when we ask the people whether Islam is fully compatible, fully compatible with uh, the institutions and values of laically sec secularism. 86% of the people said yes, it is. So they don't see any incompa incompatibility between the established secular order and, and Islam. Um, when we ask the people whether they feel the need of any change or reform in the secular order, 50% uh, of the people said no, that the current secular order is good and it should be kept unchanged as it is. 25% of the people said, I'm rounding the numbers, obviously, 25% of the people said it can be reformed, but only moderately, not too much. So there is a certain conservatism about uh, secularism in Turkey. People are aware that this is such an important central concept of the republic even if we are, we are about to change it, we should change it only moderately and in a minor way uh, because that is one of the building blocks on which the Turkish state is established. So uh, despite the fact that you know, there is this whole Islamic revival, etc., when you go and ask the people whether they want to change the established secular order, they, we don't see much of a public demand for this, to be honest with you. Uh, In my latest research in 2010, I asked the people whether you know, uh, secularism is under threat. 55% uh, of the people said, no, it's not under threat. Only 30% of the people said, yes, it is under threat. Uh, so, and this is a political issue, obviously, but we don't see uh, you know, the majority of the population perceiving that the Turkish secular order is somehow under threat. Um, the problem in Turkey, it seems, is not so much the fact that the Turkish public doesn't accept the secular order. The problem, it seems, is that uh, the public's tolerance 
towards people who do not uh, obey uh, the orders and practices of religion is not very high. So we have this, the problem is at the social level is a certain lack of tolerance towards difference, religious difference. Um, in other words, the problem is not so much about the public wanting to change the political order, but the problem is, at the, is that at the level of the society, at the individual level, in small towns, you know, in the neighborhoods, uh, there is a certain intolerance towards the people who do not live and practice religion as it is approved by the majority you know, of that particular town and neighborhood. Um, and that is, that is also a problem for secularism, for, for you know, changing and understanding and moderating secularism. For example, when we ask the people uh, whether you know, certain rights can be totally suppressed by the state, you know, uh, whether they say yes or no to this, uh, to this question, we have given them a number of rights. And we, are, we said that you know, whether they agree or do not agree with the proposition that this particular right should be totally suppressed by the government if the government thinks that that is something you know, that they have to do for some public safety reason or whatever. For example, the right of not believing in, in, in any religion, atheism. 37% of the people think that this right can be simply just suppressed. <laughs> 37%, which is not uh, a small number. Uh, the right to convert to another religion. You're Muslim, you wanna, you like Christianity better than Islam, so you want to become Christian, uh, for example. 27% of the people think that this right, the right of conversion, can be totally suppressed by the government if there is a need to do that. And suppose that you are a Christian in Turkey, you want to sort of you know, celebrate Christmas, uh, and, or go to the church. This right, non-Muslims practicing their religion, 17% uh, of the people think that uh, this right can be totally suppressed. So the problem is that when they look at the public sphere, when they look at the state, um, when they see secularism as being the principle one of the principal institutions and values of the state, they don't want much religion there. You know, they don't want much religion there. But when they look at their own townships and neighborhoods, they want some religion here. So that is, I think, uh, one of the major problems of the so-called secularism problem in Turkey. <coughs> Uh, we don't have the problem so much as a political problem. We don't have neither a political demand nor a public demand for a change of the established secular order of Turkey. There is some demand for some moderate degree of reform. But we have a serious problem that on the ground, in certain places, in certain neighborhoods, there is an unacceptably high degree of intolerance towards religious difference, whether that difference presents itself in the form of unbelief, atheism, or something other than uh, Muslim religion, Christianity, whatnot. This intolerance, I think, is the key uh, also uh, to, the, to, to the problem. Let me finish here and pass the word to 
Thank you very much. So, uh, John, I invite you now. You're going to take up your own thing, but you're also in some ways going to be talking about French and Turkish secularity. Yes, indeed, I am. Um, I want to uh, query some of, a number of assumptions about European secularity, which is the uh, headline uh, term uh, for this evening's business. Um, some notions and assumptions, I think, that are very common. Um, uh, and also to relate them to questions about, as I thought was also implicit, but maybe it's not, hasn't been mentioned so far, to issues having to do with the uh, potential membership of Turkey in the EU. Uh, there is uh, an entailment here, at least on the part of some, uh, which is certainly worthy of comment. Um, let me start with two seemingly contradictory views on Europe, Europe secularity, uh, which have a bearing on, on these matters, and which also, I think, have a bearing on questions of Turkish secularity, which has been touched on uh, just a moment ago. Um, the first view, viewpoint, uh, which is associated with various popes, including the present one, and many Christian Democrats in Europe over time, <coughs> sees the European Union as a Christian club. Don't often put it quite like that, but it, it shines through, I think, um, in both origin and in aspiration, a Christian club. Include other previously separated Christian nations, if you like, across the, the face of Europe is uh, entirely acceptable within this indeed, uh, uh, appropriate aspiration. European integration, in terms of its origin, was practically promoted and um, carried forward in the 1950s, in its early days, by Christian democratic leaders such as Schumann, Adnan, and de Gasperi. I think it's a, um, a reasonably solid claim that there is. Um, a connection is by no means uh, entire between the origins of the project of European integration and Christian democracy at that time, when Christian democracy, of course, had become uh, managed, uh, had achieved immediately after the war to become one of the largest, uh, if not the largest, single political force in terms of representation uh, in Western Europe. For some um, culturally uh, conservative uh, Catholics, um, George Weigel would be a, a good case, um, alongside the Pope. Um, uh, the fact that this, the Christian origins, quote-unquote, uh, of the European Union is not more widely recognized is because of the drastic secularization of Europe. Um, Weigel talks about the civilizational crisis which he uh, um, identifies in Europe. I think uh, uh, he is a biographer of John Paul II. I think they were shared I've seen eye to eye on this, and I'm not quite sure that Cardinal Ratzinger, or Benedict XVI, we should call him that, um, would have dissented from this at all. The drastic secularization of Europe, which has occurred over the last uh, 50 or so years. Um, John Paul, uh, Pope John Paul <coughs> II, actually encouraged Polish membership in the European Union in the vague, it would seem, hope. Uh, that it would have a positive influence in re-evangelizing Europe, the great project of his, his last years, and turning the tide against what he saw as rampant secularism uh, across Europe, and the loss of its uh, Christian heritage, indeed its dumping of it. Um, others, um, other cultural conservatives, including some within Poland itself, which was a subject to uh, the Pope's I don't think they actually twist arms, but you know what I mean, uh, 
influence and, and speaking for Polish entry, uh, thought it was very much more likely that Polish entry uh, would potentially lead to the secularization of Poland more than the re-evangelization of Euro the rest of Europe by Poland. Um, meantime, the idea of a further extension uh, to include Turkey, um, eventually, uh, was seen by many to raise uh, the threat of, and here we've heard it in many different fora, surprisingly to, to many others, the Islamization of Europe. Uh, expressed famously by the Dutch EU Commissioner Fritz Bolkestein, um, echoed by Cardinal Ratzinger, and that's what he was. Um, um, uh, not least when he suggested that Turkey, perhaps instead of attempting to join the European Union, ought perhaps to form a cultural continent, this is a quotation, to form a cultural continent with some neighbouring Arab <coughs> countries instead. Um, so, not a terribly welcoming or ecumenical view there. Uh, of Turkey's case for entry into the European Union. And it's clearly tied in with a particular uh, notion about the Christian character of Europe and how this Christian, uh, the European identity is somehow tied up in it. Now, a very different view of European secularity uh, rests on the notion that Europe, and especially Western Europe, was not so much, is not so much a, a Christian continent, whatever its history, uh, as the epicenter of secularism in the world as a whole. Um, and as such, the guardian of secular enlightenment values, militantly secular in some respect, uh, tolerance, uh, individual autonomy, human rights, liberty, and so on and so forth. Uh, in 2004, the decision was finally taken that the preamble to the European Constitution should make no, no direct reference to Christianity or to God, um, to the despair of the first the people that held the first viewpoint I mentioned. It should also be mentioned, of course, that if you look at uh, Article 15, I think, of the eventual um, um, uh, Constitution, the, the Lisbon Constitution, you will find that if they lost the symbolic uh, fight about the preamble, they act did actually gain rather significant, uh, this is religious bodies generally, uh, a rather significant gain, that is that the European Commission uh, European Parliament and so on uh, should have regular consultations with the leaders of religious bodies. Pretty controversial. It might even be argued that this was a better deal than getting just some symbolic mention in the, uh, in the introduction, to the, in the preamble. Um, uh, in connection with the prospect of Turkish entry, um, uh, the former French uh, Prime Minister, one could find many quotes of this, uh, Raphael, wondered whether it was wise to consider allowing, and this is the quotation, for allowing the river of Islam to enter the riverbed of secularism in Europe. <laughs> uh, with stories of floods across the world, uh, one has a, a, a graphic notion of what he might have been referring to in his own fevered imagination. Um, uh, having contained and marginalized Christianity, it was uh, within Europe, it was thought by those, uh, secular kidney, uh, it was now thought that uh, it was thought that the Islam might prove to be a rather more difficult challenge um, with the entry of a very large, significant country such as Turkey into the European Union, not least in connection with some 20 million or so Muslims already, many of them are Turkish descent, of course, already within uh, the member countries of the European Union. Now, the point I, I want to make is that Europe is not as religious as the first viewpoint asserts, with its clinging to the notion of Christian identity, 
nor is it anywhere near as secular as the second suggests. So I want to be uh, disagree with both of them. Um, it remains without doubt, I think, uh, on the basis of all sorts of work, which you might have done similar work in, in, in Turkey, or you'll certainly know of, uh, of the broad international value studies and so on and so forth, Europe remains far and away the most secular continent in the world. Uh, if we adopt the usual measures of secularization, such as the incidence of religious observance and of belief, um, while, of course, Turkey, on these measures, uh, is much less secularized. Um, to quote somebody who I was reading just the other day, Chris Morris, I don't know how authoritative he is, but it, it, it struck me as a, as a fair observation on his part, that Turkey is a very devout country, talking about Turkish society, a stark contrast at last in many ways to the increasingly godless societies of Western Europe. On matters of faith, religion and faith, Turkey has more in common, and I thought this was a very interesting point worth throwing out there into the discussion. Um, uh, on matters of religion and faith, Turkey has more in common with conservative American values than with much of what can be found in the EU. Religion is a part of daily life even amongst the middle classes. Uh, that Turkey is more like the USA in this respect than Europe does not, however, suggest that it is out ipso facto less modern, because there are, of course, issues there. We're not talking about modern modernity here, we're talking about secularity, and the United States is far less secular uh, than is um, uh, European society. That, I, I think, is established. I don't think it's, not, it, it's terribly controversial. On the other hand, uh, the, the next point is slightly more controversial. Uh, I don't think Europe is as secular as the alternative view suggests about the centrality of secularity. Uh, while levels of religious belief and observance are low compared with other, com uh, other continents, as I just said, the involvement of the state in the regulation of religion continues to be high. This is widely unrecognized, I think, in Europe um, and needs to be recognized. Um, let, let's take the case of France. This isn't in my script, but uh, just to sort of, uh, we'll be talking more about it. Who is it that owns the churches in France? The churches were built before 1905. The state. The state, right. Okay, interesting. <laughs> it's just about the only country in Europe where that is in fact the case. Um, uh, this involves certainly an involvement, an entanglement, if you like, with the field of religion, which it seems to me is rather extraordinary. There are, of course, many other derivations uh, from pure separation of church and state in France, which I think you can uh, acknowledge in some way. It has to do with education. There are, of course, the three eastern provinces as well, which are still the Napoleonic system, and that's, that's rather curious. Um, but one could look at the, the case of France. It is now possible, using a, a data set which has recently been developed, to actually log the deviations from something called pure separation of, uh, of religion and state, um, using sort of American, as to say, it's an Israeli scholar that's done this, but using an American understanding of what a pure separationist division of, uh, of church and state would be. And on that basis, France deviates more than the median of all West European societies from, uh, from that, uh, um, from separationist standards. Um, in Turkey, with its Kemalist tradition of laïcité, as we've heard, um, which is ostensibly modeled on, on French laïcité, um, is not unlike most of the other states of Europe then. Um, it is difficult, of course, to accept 
that uh, Turkey has anything approaching something which could be called separation of religion and state. I put it to you. With 70 to 80,000 civil servants in DNF regulating religious affairs in Turkey, even writing sermons, I gather, uh, but generally um, keeping a very close eye on what happens in this field, um, it seems to me highly questionable about one, whether one can call the Turkish state secular. Now there is, I take it, and this is perhaps something we'll discuss, a great distinction to be drawn between secularism as a political project and secularity. Um, but perhaps that's part of the, the answer. To Just to finish off, not a single European state anywhere uh, meets the standards of strict separationism that the United States Supreme Court applied at least between the 50s and the 80s. Uh, so in this respect, of course, Turkey is only different in degree. <laughs> Um, though there are clearly issues of religious freedom, equality, and state neutrality, which remain to be addressed, as I think we've uh, heard by implication um, uh, from Hakan a moment ago. Thank you. Well, I did say uh, we have um, an opportunity for acts of self-defense um, before we move on, and we do have a few minutes, so uh, while well, we're letting people out as well, we've had a chance now to um, hear the views of each other. Uh, maybe you can have a quick response before we let other people in on the game. So, Philip, I don't know if you want to um, make some further assessment, perhaps particularly since you focused on it on the, the situation in France. Yes. Uh, its secular credentials, as it were, being called into question a little bit there by John. I don't know what you make I don't of that. Have, I don't have much to respond to John because I, I don't think he really came against any of the major points I made, which was first a presentation of, of laicity in France and in the end my criticism. I think the, the most interesting point was uh, with our Turkish colleague was I think two different conceptions of, of laicite and secularism. Secularism as a political project, as you put it in the end. I think that's interesting to distinguish between secularity, as you said, uh, which is sort of uh, looking at the relationship between church and state. In, in, uh, and it is a fact that in Western societies, and I fully agree with that, so that's why there's no... Uh -huh. it, it is our societies are deeply uh, secular. That's the fact of life. Uh, you know, people, there's more and more detachment from religion, but also uh, Western Europe has also learned very early on from the 16th, 17th century following the war of religions that the state better stay away from all things religious. That's also a way of self-preservation, a deep pragmatism. So I think on that we all equal. I don't think there's any, any problem. So to go back to the, 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 the two, secularism as a political project. In fact, that's what we were presented in the first two papers. I think, on the whole, I, I knew fairly little about Turkey. I've learned more with, with what you said, and it seems to strikes me as the two situations being more different than I thought, in fact, in the end. Uh, what the French case proposes, with all the shortcomings, def uh, deferreds, and problems that I've underlined in the end with the question of uh, headscarves in uh, schools, but there are also others, plus the contradictions our LSE colleague uh, pointed out in the end. Uh, and I agree with that, of course. It's full of contradictions and tensions between the theory and the practice. I think what the French model tries to achieve is a kind of, um, and that's why I think it still belongs to the family of liberalism, but it's republican liberalism, 
as opposed to liberal liberalism, if you like, is that in the French situation, there shouldn't be uh, any interference of the state in religious affairs. And it was clear when you presented the Turkish case that there's a lot of state intervention in religious affairs. I think that's a major difference between the two. Uh, it is not acceptable that religious religions interfere with, uh, in the public sphere, in state uh, or public institutions in France. It would be illegal, but also in the other way around, it's true. The state cannot interfere. Of course, there are also exceptions to that position. Uh, the state sometimes must try to supervise, get involved in the sort of running of major religions. It does it. But in theory, the principle is that there's no interference. It would be absolutely unbelievable and illegal for the state, for instance, to fund religions or to have a say about the contents of a sermon to be given in a mosque, as it is the case with the, major, the majority religion in Turkey. That's, I think that's the major religion, and it's, it, I think, shed light on the fact that secularism as a political project, of course, is a product of long history. And I think the French one can only be understood uh, through the, the prism of, of, uh, of the French Revolution and its Republican ideals and ideas. You know, it all stands from there. And I think, of course, after that, you may agree or disagree with the, with, with the, with the situation. But it is, it is, you know, secularism as we know it, British secularism, is also the product of another history. And the, the legacy of, uh, you know, years, decades, centuries of relationship, sometimes conflicts between religious institutions and the state. Thank you. Uh, um, Hakan, do you want to come back? Um, I think it, um, about the difference between Turkey and France, as you rightly pointed out, uh, there are some significant differences that go back to the different histories of these two countries. Um, in Turkey, there wasn't any official anti-clericalism, as we had in France, for example, in the 19th century. Uh, in Turkey, when we were looking at at the foundation foundation moments of the Republic in the 1920s, what we see is that there was this attempt on the part of the Republican founders to save Islam from the people who were misusing it and misinterpreting it. Actually, these people were presenting themselves as the as the ones who are going to established the correct religion uh, instead of the incorrect or corrupted or polluted religion of the sultans and of the people of the empire who were misusing and misrepresenting it. So there was this attempt of discovering the true religion, which in the words of Ataturk was fully compatible with modernity and reason. So there was this idea of reinventing, in a sense, uh, in a sense, religion. And in this whole attempt of reinventing this Islamic tradition, the high, high directorate of religious affairs was a functional equivalent of a state church, to be honest with you. I mean, the state created a church. And it sort of funded that church. And that church, uh, on behalf of the state, was to invent that true religion, true to the message of God, 
and to control, obviously, other aspects of religion, the popular aspects of religion, folk religions, because the state believed that these folk religions, regional religions, autonomous religions, would be incorrect, would be against you know, the correct interpretations of this. There was this almost, you know, uh, I think this notion of secularism has nothing to do with the French idea of secularism or other European ideas of secularism. This, is, this comes closer to a little bit within the different branches of Christianity. This comes closer to Orthodox Christianity, to the <coughs> Greek and Byzantine and Russian traditions. So actually, we are in the family, uh, the Turkish uh, tradition of religion and secularism. We are in the same family of Orthodox Christianity, Sunni Islam, you know, in this a little bit eastern part of Europe. <laughs> uh, and, <laughs> you know, not very close to what we're having in this western part of Europe. So like, you know, the Russian church, the Ottoman church, like in Byzantium, there was this state attempt to take religion under control, to, you know, uh, not to let so much popular expressions of religion, and seeing in the popular expressions of religion basically a danger of the ideological hegemony and political authority of the state. So that is the kind of historical framework in which we are operating and the republican secularism was not so much a 100% diversion from our centuries long history uh, Ottoman, Byzantine Roman, you know <laughs> uh, so Thank, yeah. Thanks Hakan, if yeah, I could I follow that up if, if I may with a question to John on this okay. east-west uh, theme um, one of the things that Philippe said was that uh, part of the importance of laicite in France today is the way it responds to a culturally Catholic country and in terms of equality and um, its agnosticism and so on. Um, the reason he said that is because he said at a certain point that um, France is a pervasively Catholic culture and that that can uh, cause trouble for certain minorities. And I wondered, John, how far you thought that goes. How deep is this? How pervasively Catholic is the culture? That is to say, is laicite itself a Catholic formation? Two minutes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, what you remind me of is the, the argument that particularly in, in Latin cultures and Catholic cultures, uh, since the French Revolution and since the influence of the French Revolution was spread, through the Revolutionary <coughs> and Napoleonic Wars across much of Europe, um, there has been a deep division running through almost all of these Latin societies between the Enlightenment revolutionary tradition on the one hand and Catholicism. One talks about the war of the two Francis, which um, one would like to think are entirely over, uh, but uh, you know, there are clearly sort of uh, leftovers from it. But of course, it, there is also the, I mean, th th there are several different Europes, quite simply. I mean, the, the Lutheran Europe is really very different from Catholic Europe. And of course, in Lutheran Europe, you still have, uh, although there are changes there and some reforms, you still have departments of state which actually run the state churches. Indeed, uh, priests are appointed by, uh, uh, by royal uh, um, uh, command and so on and so forth. So, very different. And then, of course, in the, in the Orthodox, 
well many Orthodox countries, which have also, of course, suffered for, um, for, uh, between 70 and 40 years of uh, communist sort of autocracy, which attempted to uh, marginalize it. Nevertheless, the survival of an Orthodox way of uh, relating, and it's often associated with Caesar papism and so on and so forth, a very different set of notions about the appropriate uh, relationship between religious authority and that of the state. So I think there are many different. One of the interesting aspects, however, is that it's the um, it's the countries that, that lie on the sort of shatter belts between these blocks, these cultural <coughs> blocks. And one thinks about uh, a line running, say, from the Netherlands down through the Rhineland, Switzerland, uh, and so on, down into Transylvania, indeed, um, where societies had to live with different uh, confessional traditions, living side by side. Uh, and have developed ways such as consociationalism and so on of, of handling me. I'm not sure I'm answering uh, your, your question entirely, oh, but let difficult. me just say one thing. In all of these societies, there is, and I, uh, this is something which I'm, I'm not sure Philippe and I do agree on, though he kindly says, oh, I agree with everything he said. Um, <laughs> uh, and that is, there are hierarchies of recognition. There is no religious equality anywhere in Europe, certainly not in France, I think. Um, it is a case of, uh, we, we can argue about this. I mean, uh, one can, of course, talk about the... I said uh, that. I said that. Yeah, right. Uh, at, at the extreme, of course, there is the, uh, the, the various state units which are very concerned about um, counting, identifying, observing, and spying on so-called cults. Rather interesting. Interministerial groups for combating cults. Really curious, I mean, a, a very distinctive. And I, I'm not, not saying that they shouldn't exist, or this is, this is silly. Uh, but it is just one small symptom of the fact that this whole field of the regulation of religion, and I think that's, that there isn't uh, a country in Europe which doesn't regulate religion in some way or other, and according to different formats. Uh, but they all involve hierarchies of recognition. In the case of France, of course, you, have, you do have um, major Catholic ceremonies on the death of Mitterrand or whatever, curiously. But it is private then when it has its <laughs> But all the officials of the state are there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, very good. Right, we've got at least 20 minutes now for some contributions. To you. Uh, lots of hands up already, so do try to keep it brief if you can, yes. So. habitus 
of the people themselves. Uh, but obviously, states always help. You know, <laughs> if they are on your side, <laughs> you're better off. <laughs> and if they are against you, it you know they create problems for you. But uh, I think that in the daily lives of the people, uh, they the people can adjust a certain dose of religiosity and secularism quite well. And I don't think there is this need of state protection or state oppression to protect the basic secular order. That is what I feel from the findings of opinion polls and from my daily sort of encounters with the common people themselves. I think that's a straight answer. There, there you go. Yeah, one there, then one there. Would you agree? I mean, if, if in that, I mean, in connection to the question from the colleague, um, that if the canalists had been more, I mean, had been pushed ruthlessly and relentlessly, the, the reforms, Turkey would have been quite different today. I don't think they have. I mean, to use John Medley's word, I don't think there was militant secularism there. I don't think Derin Devet has used militant secularism at all. I mean, look at today's Turkey. It's a complete Islamic mindset has been set onto the people. The government and the state is not uh, at all neutral to other religions, let alone in, even the Islamic, the Alevis, for example. Mm -hmm. And as a Turkish society today, I'm, when I look at today's Turkey, there are hardly any other religious groups visible in Turkey. I mean, if you go around the Islamic country of Turkey into other Islamic states, Egypt, Syria, or Iraq, or Iran, whatever, there are many, many more religions which are being practiced in Turkey. It's completely 99.9999 percent it's become Islamic. Should I ask? I, I don't know. No, I mean, uh, is the is the way of collecting all the questions? No, no, no. It's not that. But it's whether you have something okay. to say. I think one 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 answer is that you know our Christians have been exchanged. Uh, either they have been sort of forced to migration, killed, and exchanged with, with other Muslims with the, from the Balkans and from the Caucasus. So one way of this religious homogeneity has to do with the early 20th century population exchanges and wars. Uh, the second uh, part of the question is, uh, is this you, you are talking about this religious mindset, this Islamism being imposed on the society. Well, um, yes, uh, yes or no? I think, uh, yes, on the one hand, we, we, we are having this Muslim government, which is very serious about uh, Islamic things, but on the other hand, is this an Islamism that is being imposed on us? I'm not sure about it. Thank so you. it's a. I wouldn't say that you know we are we are having this Islamist challenge that is you know undermining the secular foundations of the society. I would tend to interpret the, interpret this whole phenomenon in a bit different, but obviously it's a much longer yes. topic that we should. Okay, we've got lots and lots of questions. We've got one here and then one up the back. So start here. Hello, um, thank you for a great Since Turkey is a secular country, will strengthen secularity. That's if you follow the, this line of argument. I think well, it's, a, it's a good question, I think, to help distinguish between two things. The first one is the nature of 
uh, the state. Uh, and I think I've been, personally in my presentation, concentrating on that aspect. What is the nature of the state? Does it enable, does it favor, does it facilitate the expression of a variety, a plurality of religious beliefs, including the belief of not believing, you know, atheism, which is put in France on the par with other beliefs? Uh, or, and, and the mindset of people, as you were saying in your presentation, which is you know, how religious a society can be. So I think these are two things. In Turkey, and of course that's not for me to reply, but I, I would, I would see, think that the, 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 the state is, is very secular, but of course now the mindset and the, the level of uh, uh, you know, uh, religious practice and belief is, might be different. So I think there is a necessary contradiction between the two. Although I think the nature of the, the state, the, 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 state um, the conditions for religion to flourish in, in a country, of course, it matters, of course, if you are uh, more restrictive and uh, less liberal in your approach towards different religions, of course, and that will translate. And, uh, and I agree with you, that was the point also, it seems to be that Turkey lacks also a bit of a uh, sort of a plural representation in some of the religions. John, do you want to add anything to that? Um, well, I've got lots of things that have gone through my mind as you've been speaking, and I, I think uh, uh, the state might Pick be one of them out. Oh, I think. <laughs> <laughs> the state can be secularist, though. I take the point about sort of militant secularism maybe not being part of the story. It's one of the arrows of Kemalism, I gather, but uh, even so, maybe it's well, not the really. No, and since if they had been and relentless, Turkey wouldn't be in the state today. Well, it, it only continued for a decade, and then democracy was important, maybe two decades, and then democracy yeah. was introduced. Then. It can be secularist, however, and I would still say it was a secular, where the, the, the point is uh, state control. I remember when you and I talked a long time ago in Boazici, you said, you know, you've got to understand that what's happening in, uh, in Turkey and, uh, is that there is a, a felt need to control the religious, if you like. Uh, maybe I'm mis misrepresenting you. It seems to me that that is a form of secularism. It is a political project. It's a, it's a management uh, a problem, as seen by the, the, from the political elite. Secularity is something else, um, because that is a state. That, that's, that, uh, that maybe secularists are trying to introduce secularity. <coughs> they patently failed. I would have said in, in, in the case of Turkey. Um, I have other questions. Well, we have, we've lost our track on the EU, but let's let's go. Oh, we on. did. Yeah. I'm sorry. Up there. Yeah. It's, so, it's one of these. <laughs> <laughs> Left, middle, or right? Secularism, I think, uh, in terms of 
you made a very fine distinction between secularism and secularity, one being an object of the state, the other one a character of the society, let's say. Uh, in terms of the secular character of the state, I don't think we have a problem in, in, in Turkey. Uh, I don't think we have a problem at the level, at the level of the judiciary also. Uh, we have a problem of conservatism. In other words, people being more religious in their daily lives. They take religion more seriously. They treat their <laughs> children and friends and partners through the prisms of religion. That's another question. But when it comes to making their public duties, I haven't personally encountered anybody in the Turkish public service to refer to some sort of religious norm or value when he or she is doing his job, her job. Uh, so I don't think we have a problem of undermining the secular character of the state. About the secularity of the people, I think uh, <coughs> when it comes to, now, through all my research, what, what, I, what I have found was that religion is, is important in the decisions of some people, not all of some people, of some segments of the society, but not in all their decisions. In certain decisions, they take religious norms and values more seriously. In certain other decisions, they don't. The one area of decision, personal, we are talking about personal decisions here. I mean, what to eat, what kind of person you want to be friend with, whom to marry, those kind of decisions <laughs> that you know people make all the time in the, throughout their daily lives. <coughs> the religion is important. Islamic norms and values are important. They are taken into account whenever an average person or a common person in Turkey, and not everybody though, but some people in Turkey, make a decision regarding their intimate lives. In other words, friendship, marriage, uh, neighborhood, those type of intimate decisions, <coughs> religion plays a certain role. But when it comes, when the decision, the decision area moves away from the personal to the private, and from the private to the political and public, then the importance of religious norms and values on that particular decision becomes less and less and less. So that is the kind of game we are talking about. We're not talking about religion influencing everybody's decision on every aspect of life. We are talking about religious influence being divergent and different on different people on different decisions. So it's a much more What about voting? Voting, no. No. Absolutely not. People voting are of purely religious reasons. In other words, I'm voting for you because you are a religious person irrespective of other concerns, mm -hmm. such as, for example, economic concerns, other expectations, is not more than, and this can be proven by hundreds of different uh, analysis of Turkish voting behavior, is not more than 5% in Turkey. I mean, people voting just because you are a good Muslim, I'm a good Muslim, I love you, I vote for you, kind of voting, <laughs> does not exist. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, we've got two at the front, then one, and then another, and then another. So. But marriage, it does. Voting <laughs> 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 does. Okay, thanks. Well, I would like to uh, first ask, uh, because I think right now, like, that's just an idea anyone can answer. Right now, what we see in Turkey is the process of, like, you know, facing the problem. Because so far, 
problem up until now. And right now, like, hide many of the problem. Like, I mean, those people, conservative people, has already always existed in Turkey, but now they become more prominent. It's not just people that become more religious, but before it was just cleaning lady. They become more visible, you mean? Yeah, before it was cleaning lady, but now he's professor. And in this sense, like, don't you see? Actually, like the Turkish Muslim becoming, like especially the political Islam becoming, in a sense, more like European Christian Democrat. Don't you see, like, in a sense, like Islamic Democrat? Because when you see, when you look at the current government, 20 years ago and today, you don't see politically they become more Islamist, uh, such as like Recep Tayyip Erdogan. 10 years ago, he, I mean, his utterances was much more religious than today. And today, many of the uh, Muslim element of the society, I think, like becoming more capitalist and more uh, pragmatically oriented in a sense, and in a sense, become more like Christian Democrat. I don't know. Okay, that's a good question. Good question. Do you, uh, John, do you want to have a go? Yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> well, well, I mean, I can. You can. I think you can. It really is a question for you. I think. Uh, well, it's anyway, it's anyway it's anyway it's 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 mainly about Turkey, and you know most. Well, I, I pass the word to John. Uh, well, uh, let me just pick up on that. I think it's unreal. I mean, when you say that um, the religious factor doesn't operate in, 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 in elections, I'm not say, I didn't say ah. it, it doesn't operate. I said it's not a principle. Okay, right. I mean, you might also find that in you know where there are major Christian democratic parties that, in fact, there are particular issues which are religiously centered. Also, a way down the, uh, uh, and yet it is very peculiar. Let me take the case of France, for example, of all places. The one country where there's not been, except for a short time after the Second World War, a major Christian Democratic Party. It's a bit of a puzzle why, given that France was riven for so long about sensitive issues to do with public space, with the Republic and religion. Uh, when in 1970, some time ago, or further in the 1970s, we should have seen somebody else did an analysis and wanted to discover whether or not uh, wanted to discover what the single greatest uh, um, Factor was affecting uh, voting for the left or the right, and simply uh, dyadic. And you were you were allowed one question. What do you ask? Do you ask about are they are their age, their education, whether they live in the country or in the town? No. What you do is in France, which doesn't have uh, a religious party and have a history of not having religious parties. In fact, you ask them their attitude to the church, and that, uh, as, as can be demonstrated by the use of. Now, I'm, I'm surprised that, uh, so that, that would be one aspect of, of, uh, uh, of the effect of religion on voting, seemingly. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that this isn't part of the, uh, um, the, uh, the scene in, in Turkey, I think it's related to I mean, to yeah. research after research uh, shows us that, you know, an average person, the average voter in Turkey, uh, the, the, the religion, whatever it is, norms, values, intimacy, plays not a determining role in his... No, but you've made it clear that it's not in terms of like voting for somebody in virtue of their religious views being voiced, but this idea is much more of like a, a party which is um, centred on a religious community in a certain way, like a Christian Democratic Party, and then you might think that some yeah. of the emerging parties in modern Turkey I, I are a lot of, have that, a similar you know, This party has gone through an immense transformation. Mm -hmm. I mean... Uh, we have to give credit to all these people who have done this immense transformation in terms of their, in terms of everything from their, you know, attire to their personal behavior, from the, the way they relate to one another, to, to the way they relate to this 
to society in general. Uh, but uh, I would be a little bit hesitant to call this transformation the emergence of as some sort of European Muslim democracy. Uh, that is what everybody wants to hear, because it sounds very nice uh, for our ears. And it sort of makes this whole thing intelligible, because it, 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 it makes it fit to a European model. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we have this Christian democracy, so you have your Muslim Democrats, so let's play together and you enter the European <laughs> um, I, I, I would be a little bit hesitant to to, to jubilate the, 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 the formation of Turkish Muslim democracy. I think uh, we have to wait a couple of more years to see the end of the journey, whether they are going to be real Democrats, which means that they are tolerant towards other political movements, they are not authoritarian, uh, they are respective of the, uh, of the rights and liberties of the other people, they are respective of the rights and liberties of people of other religious you know, fates. It will take some time to see the, the, a certain transformation in that line. But I would agree that I would agree that, uh, given their past, uh, one can make hypotheses uh, for the for the for the future uh, of that kind of transformation. But we are not yet at this point. Okay, now we have too many questions and too little time, so we're going to have to go very fast, if you don't yes. mind. Uh, my question is about the understanding and interpretation of secularism in different environments. Perhaps we cannot have a unique and basically universal understanding and interpretation of the secularism. What we see in Turkey now, and what we see in France, is completely two different interpretation of secularism. And I think the key issue here is that society and dominant culture, they shape the understanding and they give us the interpretation of democracy and secularism rather than the other way around. Let's put it this way. You mentioned about the matter of tolerance in Turkey. This is understanding of society and this is a way in which society and dominant culture, they show to the government where to go rather than the other way around. Okay, we're going to have to hold it at that thought, but that's an interesting one, isn't it? That th this would be another way of thinking through the sense in which uh, uh, laicite may be culturally Catholic or... Um, That's what you said. Yeah. And uh, laicite is culturally Turkish. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of unfathomable, <laughs> but let's, let's <laughs> leave... <laughs> let's, let's, uh, now, uh, oh, uh, who did I promise? I promised you. I think in my answer. Is that I true or not? It's in the Yes. I have a question mainly for Philip, but also for John. Um, I think that, and I'm speaking as an English person, I think that... Um, our country wants to move towards a French system of equality of all religions. And I'm hoping Charles, because he talks about wanting to, be, wanting to be the defender of all faiths. I'm just, I just think that Britain wants to copy the French model, but I don't think they know how to do it. And I think that, like, um, I'd just like to ask Philip and John the it's an interesting point you're making because I've been here long enough to notice a difference in terms of uh, the change of mood, particularly in the political class. <coughs> in March, you know, 15 years ago when I got here, I think Britain was firmly uh, into sort of multicultural ground, you know, and the lake system was almost unheard of, and those who knew about it rejected it as a very illiberal system. And although I take it there are some illiberal aspects to it, I, I, I think there was a misinterpretation of, of, of lake city. It seems to me things have started to change recently 
uh, with in particular uh, more and more emphasis put into the sort of what is the, the cement of the nation, what binds us together, because uh, some politicians writing wrongly started to realize that probably there were a few, few problems. And I think in particular, following the, uh, the London bombing, uh, I think the fact that uh, the perpetrators of this, uh, these bombings were uh, young Muslims who were born and bred in this society and were British citizens, of course, was a, was a big shock to, to a lot of people, and rightly so. So what are the sort of values and principles which could unite us instead of trying to uh, think, bring society into, in terms of, uh, in terms of the, the coming together of different communities, let's try to see the, the wider community and what what's unites us all together. So I think they, they a big debate, I think, has started. And it is true, I agree with you, that Britain is coming some way to to the, in the direction of the French system, but still isn't there. And I don't we're we're going to have to stop it on that wonderful yeah. thought that, that the UK uh, is moving towards sorry. France and still <laughs> 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 stop it. And, and no, no, we're going to do have to stop it. Just to say, just to finish, it won't get there. It won't get there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and my point is that the French system is also going the other way. Around. So I think it's interesting. It's to the the yes. Yeah. And so we have, of course, we have the, Tur the Turks not going beyond France. So that's <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, we've run out of time. Let's thank them in the ordinary way. Thank you.